You, honey? Most of you know Anna's my wife. <laughs> I'm married to your curate here, so if you don't know who I am, <laughs> I'm the other half of this thing here. Uh, I'm daddy to Eva as well. You most, mostly know, I'm sure. Happy New Year to you, church. I would like to start by asking you a simple question, but one which may not be particularly easy to answer. How are you? Good, fine. Okay, that's good. Well, I can go home then. (laughs) End of message. How are you? It's a question we probably get asked on a daily basis, I would suggest. Most of the time we would say, I'm fine. Some of the time we mean it. A lot of the time we don't. And I don't know about you, but when I start a year, I often think of being at the beginning of a year, a little bit like standing at the base of a mountain. And you're sort of looking ahead of the year and thinking, I wonder what the climb is going to be like. Now, for some of you, I imagine as you're standing at the base of the mountain that is this year, you're excited, you're expectant, you're looking forward to how God might bless you, to the things he's going to do in your life, about how he's going to minister to you and to the church here. And maybe as you think about the year ahead, you think, great, let's get on with it. Let's go. Let's see what God's going to do. But imagine some of us here this morning perhaps feel a little bit apprehensive, a bit tentative, maybe fearful even about what the year ahead might hold for us. We may reflect back on what 2019 was like and think, hmm, a bit less of that, please, (laughs) a bit more of something else. And so I imagine there's a range of emotions here this morning as we think about 2020 and the sort of mountains that we need to climb. I don't know about you, but one of my favorite Christmas songs, in addition to all the hymns that we sing, is it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. You know that one? And this year, for the first time, I really tuned in to a particular line in the middle of that song where it says, and mum and dad can hardly wait for school to start again. (laughs) Isn't Christmas a blessing? Isn't the family coming a blessing? But isn't it also a kind of a blessing when they go away again? Can I confess that to you at the start of 2020? But I don't know about you, but I feel tired. At the start of the new year, you're supposed to feel ready, ready to go, loads of energy, But I don't know about you, but I feel quite tired kicking off this new year. So I wonder which of those emotions or states resonate with you as you think about the mountain that is the year ahead of us. Excitement, perhaps a bit of fear, apprehension, mix of the two, perhaps tiredness. I guess the key question for us then is, how do we start out well? How do we kick off this new year with God, with each other, in a good way as he would intend? And as we think about the climb ahead of us, I would like to tell you a brief story about the most famous mountain of them all, and the attempt to climb it. Back in May 1953, two men were dangerously close to becoming the first to climb Everest. They were over 29,000 feet, and as you will know, I'm sure Everest is the highest mountain above sea level. They had shortness of breath due to the altitude, cold to the bone, and achy everything. Now, since the 1850s, people have been trying to climb Everest, and for a century, people had tried and failed. It was only really in the 1950s where things took off when Nepal opened its borders and it became a realistic prospect to actually climb this thing. And in 1953, in May, two men were very close to reaching the top. Now, for those of you who know your history, you may be thinking I'm talking about Hillary and Tenzing. So Edmund Hillary and Tenzing Norgay, the two chaps who did reach the top. Well, I'm not. This story is about my grandfather's cousin, Sir Charles Evans, and Tom Bordelon, who were part of the same expedition, but were the first two to make an attempt. And within 
couple of hundred feet of the top, almost with the summit in sight, almost on the verge of becoming the first to climb Everest, and think about how they must have felt, the anticipation, the excitement, as well as the exhaustion. Their oxygen tanks froze over. And they faced a choice. What do you do? Do you carry on, be the first, climb the mountain, reach the summit, and risk death? Or do you turn back, rejoin your team, share what you've learned, and think about how do we tackle it together? Well, if, Tim, if you could pop up the photo behind me, this is Charlie, great uncle Charlie. So Charles Evans sounds a bit formal, doesn't it? But great uncle Charlie and Tom, this is what they did. They came back down the mountain, close to their goal, but recognizing it was dangerous for them to carry on. They came back, shared their insight with Hillary and Tenzing, shared what they'd learned, left some oxygen tanks up on the mountainside so that when Hillary and Tenzing went up, pick up the oxygen, use their newfound knowledge, and reach the summit. And you'll know the rest is history. Hillary and Tenzing are famous the world over, the guys who climbed Everest. But if it wasn't for Charlie's insight, wisdom, to recognize that actually the thing about climbing mountains is we're not supposed to climb alone. And that's what I think Uncle Charlie understood about what it is to be human and to climb the mountains that we face. We don't do it alone. And what Charlie understood was actually for one of us to reach the summit, we all reach the summit. It's a team effort. For one of us to suffer, we all suffer. It's a team effort. And I think what Charlie was into and what he recognized is actually as human beings, we're fundamentally social creatures, aren't we? We're designed for relationship. We're designed to shoulder each other's burdens and to comfort each other and to support each other. When one wins, we all win. When one suffers, we all suffer. So the expedition was a success. But interestingly, I think if we think about contemporary society, this concept of going it alone is something we often champion, isn't it? You know, he who dares wins. She who dares wins. It's the brave that win. And we kind of celebrate this idea that we can run at it alone with all our own strength and we're not supposed to take anyone else with us. And yet, if you look at the state of modern society, perhaps you recognize, as I do, that existential loneliness is a real problem. Numerous studies show and emphasize the fact that almost the more comfortable we've become in modern society with all our creature comforts, with all the technology that surrounds us, makes it harder and harder to access the real source of true comfort, which is God ministering to us through each other, the importance of healthy relationships. There's been a long-standing survey done in the States, the Health and Retirement Study, which assesses people as they reach 50, really just to check in with their mental health and how they are. That study has repeatedly shown that approximately a third of U.S. adults report themselves as being lonely. If you look in the U.K., it gets worse. Some of the studies suggest one in two of us Londoners experience loneliness in our lives. Now, for me, that's a cancer to the soul, isn't it? Loneliness? Is that how we were designed to be? I don't think so. If we look at the Genesis narrative, we can see it right from the start. The Lord God said, it's not good that man should be alone. Man and woman, he created them. Or consider Jesus and his ministry, how he gathered the disciples around him, how he beckoned the children to him, how he wept for his friend Lazarus, meaningful relationship throughout his ministry. Seemingly as important as the words he spoke were the relationships he nurtured, and he recognized how important it was for him. And yet, if we also look at the epistles, 
And you read things such as Romans where St. Paul says, actually, if you believe in your heart and if you confess with your mouth, you'll be saved. That kind of says to me that, well, the Christian message seems quite individualistic at times, doesn't it? Believe in your heart, confess with your mouth, kind of job done. Which, if you're anything like me, gets me thinking, well, what's the point in us doing this church thing together anyway? As we set off on 2020, do we really need to carry on meeting together? Why are we called together as family? Why not go alone? You might say to me, well, Ben, the early church did it. They met together, shared everything they had. Yeah, they did. But actually, modern society, in one sense, we're much more self-sufficient than they were then. So I'm not sure that's the answer. You might say, well, Ben, it's good to pray together. That sounds like a good godly thing to do. Yeah, you can also pray by yourself at home with your Bible or with your friends or in a small group. You might say, well, surely to hear the word of God. Well, yep, today we have the Bible in our own language. Praise be to God. We can read it by ourselves. So that gets me thinking, once we've believed in Jesus, why keep on meeting together? Why climb the mountain together? Well, why don't we turn to 2 Corinthians, and perhaps there may be an answer there for us. If you want a church in the, ter- in the church Bibles, it's page 1159 in the blue Bibles here. But if you want to sit and listen to me, feel free. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3. This is Paul writing to the church in Corinth. This is what he says. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble, in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, It is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm, because we know that just as we share in our sufferings, so you also share in our comfort. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experience in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed. We felt we had received the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us, as you help us by your prayers. Then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. Now this is our boast. Our conscience testifies that we have conducted ourselves in the world and especially in our relationships with you, with integrity and godly sincerity. We have done so relying not on worldly wisdom, but on God's grace. I wonder what strikes you when you hear that particular passage. The first thing that I notice is just how often it refers to we, it refers to us, it refers to sharing. It refers to our struggles, our suffering, and our comfort. And so it seems to me that while salvation may be offered to us as individuals, our journey of faith is supposed to be a collective experience. We're supposed to encounter God through each other. Because as the body of Christ, if I am suffering, then we all suffer. If you are rejoicing, then I rejoice with you. If we're one body together, bound together, by Jesus. So it seems to me that letters like 2 Corinthians say we were always meant to journey together. We're not supposed to go up the mountain alone. 
since the Garden of Eden onwards, that's been the way of things. And the more we isolate ourselves, perhaps the more we struggle and the lonely, more lonely we feel. The second thing I take away from this passage is as humans, as Christians, we will all know what it is to suffer. This is part of our Christian journey. It says in the scriptures, we share in the suffering of Christ. What a privilege, but what a challenge that is, to share in the sufferings of Christ. Note what St. Paul says. He despaired of life itself. Now, I don't know about you, but I think that's a really significant verse. And it's one of those verses that it's easy to gloss over. I think that's just hyperbole. That's just like poetic stuff, isn't it? Despairing of life itself. I don't believe it's so. I think if we take it at face value, I think what Paul is saying is we struggled. We struggled mentally, emotionally, spiritually. To despair of life itself, today we may say someone has clinical depression, suicidal ideation even. And here it is in the scripture. Even St. Paul struggling with these sorts of things. What do we take away from that, friends? I think we take away the truth that it's okay to not be okay. If you're not okay this morning, that's okay. It's part of the human experience. It's part of how we all suffer. But we don't suffer alone. Christ suffers with us, and our family, the church, get alongside us. Because if you also notice in this passage that as we receive the comfort through our suffering, we can then comfort others. There is nothing wasted in God's economy. If you are suffering, my friend, there is nothing wasted in God's economy. And there are blessings that God can bestow upon you as you receive comfort that will equip you and enable you to bless others. I really wish life wasn't like that. I really wish you could get the good lessons without the hard stuff. But it seems to me, in my experience, it's when I've struggled the most is when I learn the most and when I rely on God the most. And actually, bizarrely, when he blesses me the most, which enables me to hopefully, God willing, bless others too. It seems to be the way of things. The third thing I would like to encourage you by, actually, is whilst we all suffer, whilst it serves a purpose, we can all have hope in the God who rescues his people. We can all have hope in the God who rescues his people. Why is it that throughout the Old Testament, the emancipation of the Israelites from Egypt is continually referred back to? Once it's happened, that is the event in the Old Testament that all the prophets refer back to as they look forward in terms of what Israel now needs to do. That is the moment which seems to signify God rescuing his people. Why was it that the Israelites needed reminding of that all the time? Because as human beings, we need the encouragement of God and to recognize as he delivered us in the past, so he would deliver us in the present. Why do the New Testament writers continually refer back to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus? Because we all need to be reminded and encouraged that as God saved humanity through the life, death, and resurrection of Christ, so he will save us in our troubles today. As he rescued us then, so he rescues us now. And as we think about 2020, 2021, and beyond, be encouraged that the God of the Israelites, that the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, will rescue us today from whatever we're facing in the same way he rescued the Israelites, in the same way he raised Jesus from the dead. That, I think, is why we continually meet together and need to be encouraged by what God has done. Think about Christmas just gone. God with us. Emmanuel, whatever we're facing, God enters in and journeys with us. He doesn't sit upon the cloud on high and look down. He enters in, into all the messiness of our experience and existence, into the stable and says, I'm here with you. Let's go together. 
Let's go together. Or think of Jesus on the cross. The place, I think, of ultimate loneliness and suffering. Even here, according to the Gospel of John, even here, Jesus was concerned about healthy relationships. According to John, when Jesus was on the cross, he looks at the disciple he loved, the disciple John. He looked at his mother Mary, and he gives them to each other. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't think there's a more beautiful picture of what the church is supposed to be than in that moment. Here's a man and a woman bound together by the words and ministry and sacrifice of Jesus, not bound by marriage, not bound by blood, but bound together by the words and ministry of Jesus. Mother, here is your son. Son, here is your mother. Is that not what the church is about? That we are here together, bound together by the blood of Christ, so that as I climb my mountain and you climb yours, I know I don't go it alone. That, for me, I think, is what the church is about and is why we keep meeting together to support each other wherever we're at. And it is interesting. In my professional life, I read up a lot around mental health and well-being. It is certainly a thing at the moment, you may have noticed. And I'm jolly glad that it is a thing, that we're talking about it more. But it is interesting that whether you look from the perspective of psychotherapy or neuroscience or whatever discipline you're looking at at the time, time and time again, the research comes back and says, what is it that helps keep us well? Healthy relationships. They're a protective factor for our mental health and well-being. It's almost as if contemporary insight is turning back to the church and reminding the church of what we used to preach fairly well about, but perhaps sometimes forget we were designed to live in relationship together. So if you're rejoicing this morning, we rejoice with you and we cheer you on. If you're struggling this morning, take comfort in the fact that you don't struggle alone. This is why the church exists as the body of Christ together. This is why we're here. So as I come into land, I would just like to invite you to reflect on that question again. How are you? As you look ahead to 2020, how do you feel? And I wonder, as you look at the year stretching out in front of us, perhaps you are reflecting back on 2019 and thinking, yeah, perhaps I'd like a little bit less of what that was about and a little bit more of something else. Certainly my 2019 was one of immense encouragement and blessing. God blessed my consultancy and my work. He blessed my wife, Anna, with the curacy here. He blessed my wife, my daughter, Eva, with her school place. He gave us, as a family, you lot. (laughs) Do you need any more evidence of answered prayer (laughs) than you guys? (laughs) Certainly, I received rich blessing, and I give thanks to God for that. But I can also say to you this morning that 2019 was a particularly difficult year for me with my mental health. I'm someone who struggles with both anxiety and depression. I'm open with that fact. It's not something I hide away. But I've also have lived experience of the stigma and the shame that can come with that and the loneliness and the isolation you can feel when you climb a mountain that feels very cold, very steep, and you feel very alone. And for a number of reasons, I struggled at times with anxiety and with depression. But as I look back on 2019, I can also recognize that actually whilst I felt alone at times, I wasn't really. God journeyed with me. He rescued me. He delivered me on his terms, by his methods, in his time frame, not always of my choosing, but through the ministry of my wife and my daughter and my friends and my family, the church, he delivered me from my suffering. So as I look towards 2020, I have a sense of expectation, excitement, a bit of apprehension, but I can think of all of those things in the context that God is the God who rescues and delivers. And the point of the church is we don't 
go it alone. I think that's how we start 2020 well. So if you're at the top of the mountain already, rejoicing, celebrating, wonderful. I celebrate with you. Let's praise God for the richness of his blessings. But if you're struggling to even begin to climb and you're feeling a bit apprehensive or nervous, then I would ask you to take comfort in the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who comforts you, who stands at the base of the mountain with you and take comfort in the fact that your family, the church, stands with you too and we want to climb the mountain together. So may 2020 be a year of blessing for us all. May we all know the presence of Jesus in good times and bad and may we all set out on climbing our mountains together as family, as church, because that, my friends, I think, is how we start out well. Amen.